it's a joy to serve you as a pastor. It's a joy to serve your kids, your family as a pastor. And it's such a privilege that you give me at least a whole week to study the scripture, to prepare for a sermon, to think on our Lord and Savior. And I want to thank you guys for that privilege. This is a big one. And it means the world to me. Uh, I was listening to Brian and Cindy's song, and I'm sure if you have been around at the church, you know that some of the words, following my Savior all the day long, this is my story, this is my song. Man, I wish that was my story. (laughs) I've been in the church all my life. I do not feel like I follow my Savior all the day long. Um, I, I feel like every time I preach, you guys get to know a little bit more of me in a very vulnerable way, but uh, I've been in a really dark place since September. I, wanna, I think I can name September as the time it began. We had some natural disasters here in St. Louis. I, uh, I, I, I worked really hard um, during that time. And I got so burnt out. I went on vacation, and I felt like I was, I was absolutely numb. I didn't feel anything. I couldn't find joy in, in the, the, the being away. I came back, and I think Greg and Christian Madsen had a brief conversation where Greg was like, hey, Greg, I'm, or Christian, I'm really worried about Sam burning out because I was showing all the signs. Um, while I was on vacation, I started working out, and I found that there was one, that was one place that I could feel something was working out. I also love my family, and I feel a lot of joy with my family, just to be clear. They're sitting in the front. It's not fair to say that. Um, but I, I felt like I could, I could work out and, and feel something. Um, otherwise, I started to feel so hopeless, so hopeless, so discouraged, so depressed, so disillusioned. Um, one time I was running back to the car and I said something like, man, I just, I, I just wish I wasn't even here anymore. I never got suicidal, but I got to a place where I didn't see any any purpose or value in who I was or what I was doing. Um, I think that was in November. Ugh. Sorry. It's just, it was really bad. I knew I needed to see a counselor. I started seeing a counselor on a weekly basis. Thank you for helping with me, helping do that for me. Um, and I continued to work out. And my body started getting in shape. <laughs> I would love it if you noticed, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and I was processing all kinds of things with my counselor. Um, and guys, healthy things are really good for us to do. They're really good for us to do. The healthy things are not going to rebuild who you are. And they're not going to pry you up out of the place of depression and anxiety and being overwhelmed. Um, I would love to say I'm doing a lot better. And the truth of the matter is I'm still kind of in the same place for lots of reasons. Still struggling, still finding it hard to enjoy um, the work that I do unless I'm actively with my students or actively with the snowmobile. Um, I'm feeling very overwhelmed, uh, a little bit bit desperate. Um, I started seeing my doctor, started talking about some of the things that I was experiencing in this strange term she used when we were talking about depression and other medical conditions was um, hopelessness. And she said it over and over again, like, are you feeling hopeless? 
how, how much of the time are you feeling hopeless? And I was like, I don't think in terms of hope. I, I just feel numb. I just feel kind of dead. I, like, I don't know that I would call it hopelessness, but the more I reflected on it, I was like, yeah, no, I do feel trapped and hopeless. I feel like this is never going to change. Like I'm going to be stuck here. I got to this passage. It's Hebrews 6, and we'll be looking at verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Um, in your pew Bibles, that's on page 1868. And... Uh, uh, I'll tell you, I, I was really frustrated with it. I'm going to read it in just a second. I, I got really frustrated with it because it felt like it was telling me, hey, you got this, just keep believing. And I was like, Lord, I am done. I'm done. I don't, I don't feel like I'm walking with my Savior all day long today. I feel like I'm just barely here, barely hanging on. I can't read my Bible. I can't do my devotions. I can't pray. I'm just overwhelmed. And one of the terms in this text, it's in verse 12, I bet you could see it there. Um, and that first line, we do not want you to become lazy. That word, I don't love the translation, but that word in the Greek is nothros. And it's fascinating. Like, it's, it's, it's fascinating because this um, section, if you're looking in these Bibles, it starts in verse 13. This, this section, this sentence. Um, verse 12 is kind of with the previous section, and it's in the middle of a verse. But Greg gave me this verse. He gave me 12 to 20. And in 12, there's that word, nothros. And the idea of nothros is not necessarily lazy. It's sluggish. Think of a slug. You're just spent. You're not moving quickly. You can't, you're groping around in the dark. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce in a footnote talks about Dorothy Day's understanding of disillusionment. Listen to this expression from Dorothy Day. Oh, Dorothy Sayers, sorry, not Dorothy Day. A period of disillusionment um, like our own, where philosophies are bankrupt and life appears without hope. Men and women may turn to lust and sheer boredom and discontent, trying to find in it some stimulus, which is not provided by the drab discomfort of their mental and physical surroundings, an impoverished vitality, spiritual depression, where people go to bed because they have nothing better to do. Man, I was like, goodness gracious, that's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm feeling. And then Greg gave me this text, and I had to work through it, and I had to fight and wrestle with it. And the Lord knows me, and he loves me, and he gave me this text this week. Um, he gave my, me my wife, who was able to give me some really helpful words to unlock it for me. And I hope as we go through this, if you're feeling sluggish, if you're feeling the disillusionment, if you're feeling like, man, I once really believed and had a fire, and now I just am done. I'm just hanging on. I'm just barely getting to church on time. I hope that you get to experience the hope that, uh, that I experienced through this sermon or through this week of preparation.
Let's pray, and then I'll read this text. Heavenly Father, you are such a good God. You know your people. You know what we need. And you meet with us and love us. Help me to um, not cry so that I can get through this sermon. And may my words and, and the things that I say be pleasing to you. And may your people experience your love for them. Mm, in your name I pray. Amen. Please, Father, show up in that crying thing especially. I, I need it. Um, so let's read this text, and then I'm going to paint the, uh, 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 the context for you. Starting in verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what, it was, what is said and puts an end to all argument. But God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. And God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which, it is, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It, in, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, or our forerunner, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. All right, so what's happening in Hebrews? We don't really know who wrote the book. People have ideas. There's no one knows. It doesn't say. Short story. Uh, who it's written to, we're not really sure either. They have a lot of knowledge about the Hebrew scriptures. So it's, we, we kind of think it's Jewish people, Jewish Christians. Um, they also know the Christians of Italy. That's from the end of the book. They're friends with uh, those in Italy, greet them. They are aware of Timothy. But they weren't the first hearers of Christ. They heard the good news from teachers who heard, who heard the good news from other teachers. They're second generation Christians, much like you are. Maybe not second. We're way beyond second. But we heard it from someone else who heard it. And they experienced intense persecution. In just a few verses before this passage and much later, it describes how they were great to identify with those who were being persecuted in their space. They saw them, they loved them, and they said, I'm one of them. They gave up property. They gave up their, some of them even their lives. They experienced persecution in intense ways. And the writer of Hebrews makes note of that. He takes note of that and says, hey, I've seen you do this. I've seen you do this. But now they are burnt out. They're exhausted. They're experiencing the hopelessness of the wave after wave after wave after wave coming against them, crashing over their boat. They're like, what are we doing? Let's go back to something else. Wouldn't it be better just to go back to, to um, our religious roots in Judaism? Where at least, at least we know the rituals and we know the, the symbols and we can kind of hang in there. Let's go do something else. 
Let's get out of this. We're so overburnt out. What are some of the reasons you can start feeling this burnt out? Um, overworking? Just, you know, clinical depression? Maybe you're exhausted from work or life. Maybe you're uh, in a place where you're not safe and you're experiencing oppression, like the Hebrews are. All of these things can cause us to have this overwhelmed, disillusioned experience. It doesn't mean you don't love Jesus, guys. It doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. It just means you're, you're stretched too thin. Ugh, what does Bilbo said? Like butter over too much bread, right? Like, like that, that experience of I'm just beat up and I can't keep going with this, Jesus. I can't keep pursuing you. Well, the author of Hebrews knows that that's what the case for his people, for the people who he is ministering to in this sermon, in this, in this uh, series of sermons. And he's going to give them something that is so much greater than what I saw originally when I read through this. Lord, <laughs> you're going to help me not cry. Um, uh, so he's going to look at three things. And we're going to try and look at three things really quickly, really briefly. Um, first off, he's going to show them where their hope is. Where their hope is. He's going to, well, actually, I'm sorry. First off, he's going to show them what it takes. And it takes this enduring faith, this enduring faith, this endurance to follow our Lord. And it, it like a gritty faith. The term is patient here. Um, Dana... Harris, she talks about how this is actually a Hennedy's phrase, and um, the term patient describes the faith that, the, that is needed. The faith of one who is training in the word of righteousness, to focus on him, to pursue him, an enduring faith. And he looks at Abraham as an example of that. And in that, the fuel for that enduring faith is going to be hope. It's going to be hope. Hope in two things. First, in the character and word of God. And secondly, in our forerunner, Jesus Christ, who has come before us and is pushing us forward. And in those two places, we're going to find the anchor of hope that our souls, our spirits, our experiences desperately need. And I hope you get to see that with me as we go through this. All right. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those through who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When we think of the promises of God, the good news for your life, the thing that our enduring faith is after, it's what God initially promised to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a nation and great and through you there's going to be blessing to the world. And then to David, one of your kind is going to sit on the throne and reign. And then on and on where we have this picture of a broken world and God using his people to make it right. He says, I will be your God. I'm going to be one with you. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be for you. And then in Christ where he is risen again, and he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. His blood and his sacrifice on the cross pays the way for our forgiveness and our salvation and our life. Those are the promises of God to you, friends, that there is no sin, there is no weariness, and there is nothing that can separate you from his love, that on judgment day that there is a God and he will judge, but to you he will say, you're mine. I'm proud of you. 
I love you, and I see you. Those are the promises of our God, that he will be with us through this journey, that he will see us, he will know us, and he will care for us. For us. And all of that is spoken, essentially, in these words to Abraham, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. I see you, I know who you are, and I'm working to use you to rejuvenate this whole world. Now, have you ever had a, um, a person tell you something to this effect? Um, my word is good enough for you. You don't, need, you don't need me to promise. You don't need me to give you any collateral. You don't need me to give you anything more. Just trust me. Just trust me. I know, like, my dad, like, some, I love my dad. He's a good man, and this is not a, this is not a bad story about my dad. But, you know, he, would, he had, like, his word was law, right? That what dad said went. That's how it went. And there was no, there was no place for backtalk or... It was, dad is, dad, is, dad is in charge. I sometimes want to take that approach with Asher, and I realize how, <laughs> how bad I am at it. Maybe it's not even a good one. But um, I don't have to, he doesn't have to give me anything to prove what he's saying is right. He doesn't need an explanation. Ours is not to question why. Ours is but to do or die. That was our family motto. In, a, in an oddly, like, not incredibly unhealthy way. Like, I'm not sitting here thinking, man, that was really abusive. Does that make sense? Maybe, I don't know if it, I don't know if it does for you guys. My dad's going to hopefully watch this. Hopefully not, I mean. Um, I love you, Dad. You did a great job. You did a great job, Dad. You're my best friend. <laughs> um, but that, that kind of mantra of, it's my word, you can trust it. That is not our Lord. That's not our God. He does more than that to give us this gritty kind of enduring faith to get us through these trials that I'm experiencing right now. He says, hey, I know you're weak. I know the grit doesn't come from yourself. I know the strength of your faith isn't from yourself. I'm going to give you something. And he gives to Abraham in this text two things. First, he promises. He says, this is my promise to you. Which you kind of say, like, Sam, that just kind of sounds like your dad's, this, the word, trust my word. But then, but then he gives an oath. And let me tell you a little bit about Hebrew oaths, right? Or ancient Near Eastern oaths. These oaths were essentially saying, if I don't do this, may the Lord judge me. If I don't follow through on my promise, may I be destroyed. Now, when God promises to Abraham these things, he names the, prom the promise in verse 14, but in 13, 15, 16, and 17, he discusses the strength of the promise. First, he says, it's, I'm God. It's my word, and it's my promise to you. But then he, he uh, seals it with an oath. I swear by myself. And the text says, he has nothing greater to swear. If I don't come through for you, may I be destroyed. That's the essence of the oath. So in, way back in Genesis 15, Abraham and God go on a walk, have a dream. Abraham sees a vision, and 
what Abraham has to do is he has to cut all of these animals, and he cuts them in two, right? So you cut, yeah, here's, here I go. Sorry, stream team. He cuts the animals in two, and they put them on either side, and there's a path, and the path is bloody, and it's gross. And then the, the greater and the lesser would walk through the path, have the blood on them, and say, if I don't come through, may I be like these animals. And the, the, the uh, weaker also has the same vow. If I don't follow up on my end. But in Abraham's dream, Abraham's over here. And God alone walks through the animals and makes the oath, saying, if I don't follow through on my promise to you, may I be like this. May I be like this. Now, can anyone cut God in half? No. No one can cut God in half. But God is saying, you don't just have to take me at my word. You can take me at my life. You can take me at everything that I have. I am making a promise to you, Sam, to you, memorial members. I am making a promise to you, and my promise is confirmed not just by my word, but by an oath on top of it. It's almost disrespectful to himself. It's almost dishonoring to himself that we, that we would receive more than just his word. If my dad can tell me, you know, ours is not to question why ours is but to do or die, certainly the Lord of all the universe, who creates and gives life, can expect as much from me. But he does not. He puts himself on the line for us. And it's out of that kind of promise, brothers and sisters, it's out of that kind of um, care for you that he really, really wants to give. That we can have hope. That we can have an assurance that not only does he care, but he's going to come through and goodness gracious, the Hebrews needed it. And goodness gracious, I need it. But in this week of studying this text, I'll tell you what, I was like, Lord, you've promised to me so many times. I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'm so tired. Don't give me another promise. Don't tell me to look at your word again. I can't even, I don't even want to. I don't even want to. I was sitting upstairs on, oh, this is kind of embarrassing, Friday, and I hadn't written a word of my sermon. And I was talking to Kellen. <laughs> Sarah's laughing. It's okay. <laughs> I was talking to Kellen, and I was like, babe, I'm having a hard time. Um, I, I just... I don't see the beauty of this. And I started to explain to her the passage or talk to her about the passage. And she was like, wow. Sam, that's really good news. And she started talking about how um, she's reading this book um, about uh, a, a different culture. And there are Christians in this other culture in this book. And the way that they cry out to the Lord and the way that they experience suffering and the way that, it, and it was so distant from my cultural setting and so distant from the, the cliches, right? They're not really cliches. What Greg preaches is are not, are not cliches. They're really good news. It was so different from that. And it was yet the same thing. 
And she was like, Sam, don't you see the beauty? She, that's, not, look, that's not how Kellen talks, if you know her. That's, that's, that's not quoting her word for word. But she said, I, I can see it in other cultures. And I see it here. And it unlocked in me like, oh, man, this is true. This is true, true. When the Lord gives us this promise, he's not just playing with me. He is there. He is working. And he gives us something else, which is even greater than what, if, if you could, um, even greater than his promise. Look at with me. Um, he gives us the forerunner. Look with me in verse uh, 19. It discusses where this hope is. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the, after the order, or in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord said, if I don't follow through, cut me in half. And then he sent his son. He sent, <laughs> he sent his son to experience the pain and the misery and the death that we know so well. And in his blood, you have not only the oath of God, the promise of his word, the truth, the, 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 the richness of his, of his word, you have the death of his own son that confirms to you what is yours. And I don't believe the Lord is saying, up there saying, hey, have I not already given you enough? He's saying, this is for you. This is for you. This is the hope that's going to fuel your faith. Even when it gets tricky, and even when you don't feel like you've got it anymore, he's done this for you. And it's never going to change. And this hope is inside of the veil. Um, Greg has talked about this somewhat already in the sermon series on Hebrews. But you've got um, in the temple this perfect square. And it's called the Holy of Holies. That's not a perfect square. But the, <laughs> the Holy of Holies was a perfect square. And no one it, but the high priest could come in once a year to do his high priestly duties, which is a major, which is a major honor. Um, but that holy of holies, behind the veil that separated the world from what was pure, was where God reigned, where his throne was, the Ark of the Covenant, his seat. He would sit on that and judge the world, essentially. That was the image. And it sat in the midst of the people of Israel singing, your God, your King is the judge of all of the earth. And what you have in Christ is as he's been raised from the dead and as he has come, um, conquered sin and death and gives you the promise of eternal life, he goes behind the veil and is ever present with the Father saying, I'm the first fruits. I'm the forerunner. They're coming too. Tommy Leary I'm going to name his name. He's not here. You can't find him. I don't think he's here. I think he's away on camp. He went to Bentonville, and this is a mountain biking story. Uh, I wasn't with him, and he took a bunch of videos of him riding 
his mountain bike in Bentonville. And oh my goodness, guys, Tommy, Tommy can ride. I've been riding a lot longer than Tommy, and he is outstanding. The dude is outstanding. Um, and I can't hold a, a, a stick to him. I don't know, I don't think that's an expression, but you guys get what I'm saying. He's just really good, right? So um, Tommy was telling me about this really bad wreck that he had where he messed up his hand and he was hurting. And it was the second day. And uh, then they rode up, he was like in so much pain, to this, I want to say it's a 10-foot drop. And a drop is where you like, your bike just kind of goes off a, a cliff. And right off of this cliff was a path, and the trail extended beyond the path. So you had to drop the drop, go over the road in the air, and then um, keep going. And he had messed up his hand. He was anxious about doing it. He didn't want to do it. Well, he wanted to do it, but he didn't feel like he could. And he watched his friend do it over and over and over again. And uh, then he watched someone, some other people do it over and over again. And he just he really wanted to do it. He got so excited about doing it. And he asked his friend to tow him in. All right, so when you're towing somebody in, you're five to six feet ahead of them, and you're just showing them how to do it, right? And they're going to follow you at a safe distance, and you're going to be encouraged by the ability of the person in front of you. It's actually, if you want to become a better rider, a better athlete, play with people who are better. You get to watch them, you get to experience what they're doing, and, and, and you get to do it then with them. And so his friend tows him in, hits this drop with a bad hand where he can't even squeeze onto his handlebars, and he lands 16 feet from the top. And it's perfect. And as he's landing, he is screaming in excitement. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Don't worry. But he lets out this whoop, and I hear it on, because he's showing me a recording. And I'm like, he was like, you know, Sam, it really helps to be towed in. And then I read about the forerunner, the one who comes before us on our behalf, Owen Asen. He's not just an example. He's also the meat of the promise. He's the only hope that we have. He is everything. But he's going before us, telling us that we can do it with him. We can do it with him. And he's going to be right there for us. It's a little different because, you know, he's not just an example. But he has run this race for us. He does know us. And he has done so much for us. And he will see us through. Our guarantee, our hope is not just in the promise of God and the oath of God, but also in the sacrifice and the rising of his son on our behalf to pay the penalty of our sins that kept us out of the Holy of Holies. And now Christ is interceding and saying, they're coming in. They're coming in. And he's opened the curtain. He's opened the veil for you, our hope. It's nothing you haven't heard before if you have been in this church for a year. Except for, I mean, Tommy just did the drop, so you didn't hear that before. But <laughs> that, like, this is nothing new. You know this. You've heard it. And you can still feel like, but Sam, I'm still feeling this place. Brother and sister, I get it. I'm there too. Um, which brings us to the end of this passage, or the end of this sermon. We're going to look 
once more right in the center. Um, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I was reading somebody, I can't remember, but they quoted John Chrysostom. And John Chrysostom talks about the difference between building your house on a rock and having that rock being the steadfastness of your hope and the imagery here of an anchor. And I, I can't, he's the golden tongue. He, Chrysostom is fantastic. I, I can only try and say what he said. I could have written it down and read it to you, but I don't think I'm a good reader. <laughs> um, he, uh, he says, when we're in a place of confidence, when we're in a place um, where we're experiencing that grittiness of our faith, and we're experiencing victory, and we're seeing ourselves walking and running in him, when we are following our Savior all the day long, then we're building our house on a rock, right? And that rock is, the, is Christ, and he's got us, and it's the same foundation. But when we're swamped, when we're losing it, when we feel like we can't go on, when persecution is coming and the author is saying, stay strong, stay strong, stay strong, when you're looking at the waves coming and you know if you get off the boat, you're toast, that's when you don't need a house built on a rock because you don't have the strength to stand. When the waves are whipping, when the storm is high, I've been in a couple of those, and it's terrifying. That's when you need an anchor somewhere outside of you that's holding on to you, and that's got you, and is saying, I'm going to carry you through this. You're going to stay firm and strengthened in me because I'm your anchor, and I'm not letting you go. I'm locked into the, into, the, into the reef. I'm locked into the stones. Christ is your anchor for times like I'm experiencing right now, for these times of storm, for these times when I just don't think I can keep going. And brothers and sisters, in that, I was renewed. In that knowledge, I'm not better. <laughs> I'm still taking anti, well, I'm not really taking anti-anxiety anymore, but I was. I, like, I'm not, I'm not healed, but I know that my Savior's got me because he's locked in, and he's not giving up, and he's not letting go, and he will see me through. Brothers and sisters, he will see you through. The good news of what our God has done is that he's made promises to you, and it doesn't matter whether you're feeling strong and you can build your house on a rock, or if you're a small boat in a storm. He's the foundation. He's the anchor. He's the strength. And he presents himself to you again in this meal that we're about to take. Christ, our hope, the anchor for our souls when our souls experience disillusionment and sadness. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray.